Good morning. Good morning. And good morning to you, too. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. How are you? I have started out this year, and it's been a bumpy road, and we're going to continue to have our ups and downs, but we'll have our ups and downs together. That is what makes it easier, makes medicine easier going down, if we do it together. And the WBAI family is one that's been through ups and downs. We know individually, together, our communities across the country, across the world, because WBAI is heard in many places beyond the boundaries of the United States of America. So I want to say hello as well to all of our international family members. Today we're going to focus on posthumous college degrees and Constance Baker Motley. Those two topics. We're going to have a guest who's going to come a little later on the show. And I want you to think about this as we go into that discussion with her. Her son was murdered while he was at the City University School, John Jay College, my place. And what she wanted was to have him receive his degree posthumously after he has passed away. She wanted that as a level of comfort. She fought for it. When you talk about empowerment, this guest will empower and inspire and enlighten, which is what we want to do on this show. So we know that there are a lot of young people out there, a lot of other people who have lost their lives while they were in the State University of New York or attending the City University of New York. Go call people now. Let them know. Write this down. That will be our guest conversation after the musical break. So you have time to go alert people. We know that there have been too many folks who have lost their lives for so many reasons, be it one of the many wars because of violence in the communities, because of disease, of death by natural causes. I, I want you to be able to get this information. So I'm going to give you time to go make those connections to people who are involved with this issue, who have lost loved ones while they were attending the City University of New York or the State University of New York. And when we come back after the musical break, we'll hear more about that. But for right now, I want to talk with you about uh, Constance Baker Motley. Well, let's put it this way. If you were asked who was the first black woman to argue a case before the U.S. Supreme Court, if you were to be asked who was the first female in the New York State Senate, first black female, if you were to be asked any of these questions, uh, would you know it was Constance Baker Motley? And why should you know this? There's so many people who have accomplished things since then. We have Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson on the U.S. Supreme Court. All of these things have happened now. But in the beginning, you have to lay the foundation and pay homage, if you will, to those people who cut the path through to allow folks like me to get through there and, and others who are there. There are many people who listen to this program who are at law firms, who are working in, um, in any capacity within law. And there's always that person who had to cut the trail, had to blaze it for us. Constance Baker Motley is that person. She was born in 1921 and she passed away in 2005. That was just not that long ago, 2005. She was with us this entire time. And she served on the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. She was a judge for 20 years. But before she was a judge, before, and this is the thing that this laid the groundwork for her, her parents were immigrants from Nevis, immigrants from the Caribbean. They were domestic workers here in the United States. And she went to public school 
in Connecticut while her parents, her mother in particular, cleaned houses and her father worked on anything he could find. They had about a 10th grade education. Her parents had about a 10th grade education. But from that, she was able to rise up. He, the father, became a chef at Yale University. Now, this is why I always say, look within your sphere of influence. What do you already have around you? Because her father was a chef at Yale University, an Ivy League school in New Haven, Connecticut. She then, of course, seeing him on campus, visiting him on campus, had that interaction with that high level of education, those students who were there and at that time, there were, of course, very few black students on campus. And she had the opportunity to watch, become accustomed to. And I always like to say to my students, get used to interacting in situations of power. Study people in positions of power. Get yourself comfortable with power so that when you have that opportunity, you're able to go in that door and feel somewhat secure, even if your life was not that of a person in position of economic or political or social power. If you can study it, if you can read about it, if you can better understand how it works, then you could have influence there once that door opens. And of course, the door, front door may not open. You might have to check the latch on the screen. You might have to check if the window was shut all the way, but somehow get in there. And when you get in there, as she did, she was able then to attend college, first at Fisk, which is an HBCU, historically black college in Tennessee. Then she attended college at NYU, New York University, and went on, because she had this comfort level now, went on to Columbia University Law School, one of the few black women, one of the few women generally, but one of the few black women to attend Columbia University Law School. And she graduated from Columbia in 1946. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this. She was one of, I think she was the ninth of 12 children and, and I'm just thinking, this is not someone who was born into privilege at all. We have to realize, if you're in this country with everything it does to everybody, the one thing you need to understand, you better take what it has to offer. You better, hopefully, get younger generations to realize that you better take advantage of what's here. It's going to take its pound of flesh from you. You better take advantage of the opportunities that people are fighting, risking their lives to come to this country. And if you're born and raised here, if you're here now, if you're able to take advantage of whatever this country has to offer. And that's what she did. But she didn't just say, wow, here I am, um, one of the first black women to graduate from Columbia Law School, one of the few women to attend this, this Ivy League um, institution. Now I'm just going to sit back and make money. Back then, most of them couldn't even get jobs, even with this type of educational accomplishment. But at that point, she turned to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and was hired there as a clerk. Even then, women within the black community did not get all the full uh, achievements and financial um, support they should receive in their job. So she was hired as a law clerk, but she ended up working under Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall, we know, the um, civil rights attorney who went on to be the first black member of the U.S. Supreme Court. She worked on a number of cases, and that's why she would then become the first black woman to argue cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. But if we thought her life ended there and those accomplishments are enough, they are. But then she's elected to the New York State Senate, elected to become the first African-American woman to sit in our state Senate. But that's not enough, is it? Because from there she goes on to be the first woman to be the Manhattan Borough President. Yes, Constance Baker Motley. That's what we're talking about. Constance Baker Motley. And from being Manhattan Borough president, 
She is then nominated by President Lyndon Johnson in 1966 to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. And it's there that she will be for 20 years, becoming the highest ranked person within that court. And I, I'm just so amazed by this, but then I'm honored because tomorrow, Wednesday, January 31st, Constance Baker Motley will receive a U.S. postage stamp. And I've been a collector of what I call the black stamps for a long time. But she will be on the U.S. postage stamp. The ceremony is taking place tomorrow. And I am pleased to say that not only is a ceremony taking place tomorrow, but I am actually going to be speaking at the ceremony. So now I want you to think about this person who started her life and gave as a civil rights attorney to make our community better, worked on the Brown versus Board of Education case, so many cases. She argued 10 cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, and she won nine of them. And the case that she lost was later actually um, victorious because the precedent was overturned. And now here I am, a civil rights attorney, a social justice attorney, someone who writes about race and the law and women and justice, and I am going to speak at her U.S. stamp ceremony. That is the full round-robin story, and I hope it doesn't stop with me. I hope that you have someone in your life listening who wants to go into law. Perhaps there's someone right now who's in law and you just needed that little bit of inspiration to remember the power you have that comes with that law degree. Yes, you have to go through everything that everybody else goes through in order to have a job and you have a boss and you have the stress and you have all of that. But having a law degree brings with it a level of power. This is the most litigious country in the world. We have more lawyers, more judges, more cases. Our U.S. Constitution is exported around the world, and you have been given the tools as a lawyer to understand these things, but not just understand them, to also explain them to others. And that's what this show is about. That's why I began to have Law of the Land, to help you better understand all of this that's all around you, the power of the law, and not just that, to inspire, to enlighten, to, and at this point, empower you with this story of Constance Baker Motley. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall, and my guest, Michelle Barnes Anderson, is a powerhouse. I had a chance to speak with her earlier about the law, about her son, about her journey, and now she's going to share all of that with you. Good morning. Good morning, Professor Brown Marshall. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, Michelle Barnes Anderson, you have had quite a journey, um, the ups and downs of life, and, and I once again offer my condolences for the loss of your son. And you've been Thank able you. to take that. You've taken that, and you've done these amazing things, in the, and it's not over. So tell us how you started this quest to have a um, posthumous degree granted to your son and now expanded to grant to other people as well. Well, first I want to say thank you for having me on air with you today. I really appreciate this platform. My son was um, Melquangetel Anderson. Well, is Melquangetel Anderson. I like to say I have a forever 27-year-old son who was murdered on October 25th. 2017, which was four days after his 27th birthday. He was a transfer student at John Jay College. He want, he had an associate degree from Tompkins Community College, and he wanted to become a lawyer. So, you know, as a parent, you always want your child to exceed and do better than you, and he wanted to become a lawyer. So what only thing left for me to do was to make him a lawyer. So they, I got him to become a law, which is Mel's law, to have CUNY and SUNY waive credit for anyone who died and award a posthumous degree. 
for those who die. And it's something that you need to do for the family. It's for the victims, you know. It's like they go so hard and they try to become something to make their community better, to make society better, and then they're murdered or they die of um, a, a terminal illness or even commit suicide through all the traumas that they may have go through but still trying to pursue a degree. And for you to say, well, no, you have to have a certain amount of credit, I just felt like was um, it was crazy to me. I, I just didn't understand it. So when he passed, I was, you know, contacting the school. Can I get this posthumous degree for him? And it was like, no, these are the these are the policies. And I'm like, well, could you just grant it for him? He would have got those credits if he wouldn't have been murdered. And it was like, no, if I do it for him, I have to do it for everyone. And it still didn't click on me, and I was just calling all the elected officials, and I was telling everybody, could you please help me get this parking degree? He had a daughter that was born two months after he was murdered, and she needs to see on the wall that her dad was really going forward and doing things, and nobody was helping. And then I had one person in Congress member Lydia Velez's office, um, Melissa Delaval Ortiz, who was like, you know what, stop pushing for that, and how about you try to make it a law? And I was like, wow, I never thought of that. You're right. So I went to Assembly Member Farah Safar Farris, and she was like, you know what, write something up, let me know, because she just was coming into office, and she was like, write something up, let me um, put it through my legislation. So I came to my sister's. And we wrote something up, put it together, and then she put it through legislation. She introduced it to Senator um, Jabari Pesport, and he put it through. They went through, you know, it went through the legal litigations, and they kind of tweaked it. They sent it back to me, and then I kind of tweaked it some more. My family and I was like, you know what? It shouldn't just be for people who were murdered. It should be people who, who committed suicide, who, who died terminal illness, because... There's a lot of things that's going on, but we still want, they still want to change society. They still want to help those in psychology or become a fireman or become a police officer or become a doctor. And all those things help people in society, right, to make society better. My son wants to be a lawyer to help society be better. And we did all of that and it went through i was up there with my grandbaby she's now six because every year after two after two months after his murder it marks the year she turns older and it marks the year he was murdered so we were up there in albany doing these like going to everyone saying could you please be a co-sponsor could you please pass the bill and overwhelmingly, it passed in both houses, and then the governor signed it on his sixth anniversary, the day that he was murdered, which was October 25th, 2017, and she signed it October 25th, 2023. Okay, that's, I, I just want to, like, one, commend you for your tenacity, but I also want to have you do one more shout out to the politicians who helped you do this, because we can be highly critical of our politicians. And I know that I will call people out who are not, I, in my estimation, um, living up to what we voted for them to do in office. But when they are accountable when they do these things that are necessary to to push legislation forward then they need to be commended so let's get those names again you said it was senator um jalari um, brisket yes mm -hmm. senator jabari brisket it was assembly member farris Farris. i want to shout out public advocate jamani williams because he was willing to come out to a press conference in the rain with his baby, but we couldn't fly the doves that day, which was the day September 25th, which is um, remembrance of homicide victims. So every year I usually release doves, and we were going to do a press conference, but it poured down rain, and they was like, you still don't want to do it? We Because we had tents, but I was like, you know, the doves couldn't fly, so we canceled everything because it rained so hard. But they were willing to come out. Um, I want to shout out Assembly Member Monique Waterman because I believe it's Chandler Waterman because she has been fighting. She did something for gun violence. Um, a weirdest month where she had the everyone that the mothers that she worked with posted up there in the lobby, 
and she showed a video for that whole week in June. And I appreciate that getting it out. You know, a lot of people don't know about the posthumous degree, but we need to let this be known because families, you know, you, you, you live through your children and it's like you always want them to be better than you and you want to push them further. And then when their life is cut short and they go and you don't have anything, you don't have a wedding to go to, you don't have a graduation, you don't have those things with the baby being born. It's like at least they can look at that degree on the wall like this is what my child was doing. Give us that. Give us that to show the hard work that they were doing to change society. And I want this to become national. I don't want it to just be in New York State, because right now it's just with CUNY and SUNY. It needs to be national, because you have so many, not just murders, but mass shootings as well. People's lives are just stripped, and parents are just left with, like, what happened? You know, and in our community, a lot of in the first minority communities, some people are the first to go to college. And then that's stripped. You know, and it's like the family, the, the child is growing up with, like, my father, my parents, they did everything for them to get there, and they, like, were still taking. And they and that can mean a whole, like, their whole life can turn to a different trajectory, and we don't want that. We need to have them to look at something to look forward. Yes, go further. Do what that your dad was doing or do what your mom was doing or do what your sibling was doing. Look at that degree on the wall. Continue that legacy. And you were saying that this was not just uh, for City University of New York, where um, John Jay is one of the colleges of within the City University of New York, but also the State University of New York. Now, tell us about where the law is regarding SUNY. So right now, SUNY has passed the board. They have passed the um, the they they passed it through the board. They in that. Their chancellor is supposed to come down with the policy stating that they waive the credits. CUNY has yet to done that. And like I said, I'm thankful for you for giving me this platform because it's not really known. A lot of colleges have no idea. When I'm speaking to them, like, have you heard of this? They're like, no, I haven't heard of it. So I've been emailing the board of CUNY. I've been emailing the board of SUNY and the colleges like, SUNY, when is the college going to put the policy out so I can, you know, have a copy? And CUNY, when is the board going to even put the policy out to have SUNY put it, to have CUNY, excuse me, put it down the line for everyone? Graduation is in May. We have lost so many young adults already, right? And just in the beginning of the year, you have murders already you, from colleges. The end of the year. Graduation is in May. Those families should be able to get their degree for their young ones who was lost. My my nephew, his friend that he went to college with that helped him get through my son's murder, brother was just murdered, stabbed, getting off the bus coming from a SUNY college, upstate Buffalo. He was just stabbed for wrong, for uh, um, misidentity. They thought he was a gang member. He was coming home for the holidays. And he was sad coming in Times Square. So that mother should have that degree. Right now, I know she's not thinking about that. That's not on her mind right now, but she should still be able to have it come May. And so when we are talking about this law, so um, Governor Hochul, and we give a shout-out for her role in this, of course, because she signed it into law, part of the law says that CUNY and SUNY are to put together policies that take into account the stakeholders. And so within the college, you have the college senate, for example, and that college senate may meet to say, these are the, the requisites that we need in order to do this. This is the policy that we have to have within the different colleges. They may put um, their insight into what is needed to have the policy that will be used across all of the CUNY colleges. The State University of New York is the largest university system in the country, the largest university system in the country. And so what we do, other colleges will do, and you said you wanted something done nationally. I think other people, administrators hearing this in smaller colleges where there's not as much bureaucracy, 
probably will find it easier to do. But within the City University of New York, we have the Board of Trustees. And, of course, the chairman of that Board of Trustees is Bill Thompson. And so they would have to have um, uh, input from other people. So I would say, listeners, if you support this idea or you've lost a loved one, it doesn't have to be. And this is the other thing I want to talk with you about, Miss Anderson. It doesn't have to be a loved one in the last 10 years. It, does the law give any type of cutoff for when someone can get this college degree? Because it could have been someone who was lost in the 1980s. Is that possible? I would hope so, but that wasn't something that was written into the law. I mean, I would hope so because my son was murdered in 2017, and if they didn't do that, then he wouldn't get it, you know, if they were to save from 2023. It's nothing that anyone can do with a parsonage degree, right? It's just for the family. And I feel like we always talk about second chances, right? We want to make sure that those who wrong people have a second chance to do right. And even myself, the one who murdered my child, was 21 with a child. And he had such, you know, once because I wanted to talk to his mom. Because I wanted to understand how does she feel that her child took someone's life. And when I heard the backstory, when I heard different things, and I'm not going to get into that because that's her story. But when I heard different things, it was like, oh, my God, I can see how his heart was cold, that he didn't care about himself. He didn't care about his child. So how would he care about my child that you would take a life? And I asked if the judge would not give him life, but to put him in a prison where he can get an education, to get a GD, to get a college degree. So when he's out in 20 years, that he'll be able to do something with his child and his child while they're growing up for 20 years without him will be able to see that the father has made a mistake, but the father is doing something. And that child wouldn't grow up, hopefully, with looking at, you know what, my dad was this way, so I need to be this way, and they turn and take a life. So it was about the child. And I just feel like we have to stop that cycle somewhere, and I feel if we don't do that, then it's just going to continue and to continue and continue because you can't people put people away and give them nothing and have them come out because then they're going to repeat things. You know, so I wish if I have so much love for my son. If I could have gave some to him, then maybe he wouldn't have murdered my son. But we can't talk about that. All we can talk about is moving forward. And since we ask for second chances for people, we have the um, the Second Chance Act. We have all these different things that they want to do to help those who murdered our children or who took a life or who uh, abused somebody to give them a second chance. Do something for the victim who was trying to change society by going to school and get it in degree and award them a parchment degree, award the family. So it, it shouldn't matter how far I go back. It should be able to let you come forward and get that degree. And Mel's Law, that's the name of it, Mel's Law, M-E-L apostrophe S, Mel's Law. So for those people who are going to be contacting the uh, Board of Trustees for the City University of New York, it's easy to find. You just go online, look for Board of Trustees, CUNY, C-U-N-Y. Contact them and say you wish them to go forward in support of policies to get Mel's Law actually um, applied for those students who have lost their lives so that they could have their degrees given and their parents could have this this um, balm, this this healing, a part of the healing process would be that um, that degree, yes? Absolutely. And you don't realize how it helps with mental health. I went through so much with trying to learn how to live without my child in and out of the hospital. It's just, it, I just went through so much. And it's like, I'm like fighting, trying to get his degree to put on the wall for this baby that I now have to help raise without him that I didn't even know I had. And now I have a grandchild who will never know her dad. And I was like, how am I going to be able to show her all the things he did? So I did write a children's book called The Sky Has Karen Eyes. And it's about him talking to her throughout the day. So to help children understand that even though their person that you lost is not here, you can always talk to them. She thinks that he lives on a cloud. 
she believes that anytime she goes to sleep that he comes to her and they can talk and have a conversation. And that's what I want. I know it's fantasy now, but that's what I want people to see, that no matter what, you can always talk to whoever you love. And it doesn't even just have to be for children. Adults can feel that way. Because sometimes I talk to my son and I'm like, am I doing a good job? Do you feel like I'm raising her right like I did with you? So, um, yes, we need we need this to get done immediately for families because it helped with mental health. You don't understand my nephew lost his scholarship because a lot of people weren't, we weren't looking at, you know, he lost a cousin who was like his father figure slash brother only because he was eight years older than him. And we just sent him off. He had a full scholarship for football. And we think we cheering him on, and he's not handling the death of his cousin. So um, he wound up, you know, the coach was like, he needs some mental health help, you know, and we had to bring him back home. And I want you to also um, talk about your foundation. Uh, as we look at, and I know we're running short on time, but I want us to be able to get a rounded picture. This was a, a, a murder of by mistaken identity. And I, when, when Michelle uh, Barnes-Anderson came to me to talk about this, and I thought, well, why wouldn't a, a school just give the, the, the degree? I mean, what is it going to do to the school to give this degree to a student who was there? It's not as though this was a person who wasn't in school at the time. Um, and so I think that it's, it's, it's important on um, behalf of our listeners to support this work. I always like to give my listeners homework. I have some of the smartest listeners, I think the smartest listeners, and I want you to take this on. I want you to contact the CUNY, C-U-N-Y, Board of Trustees. I, you can call them. You can send them emails, whatever. And there's also going mm -hmm. to be, I think, a public hearing on this, right? Or a public hearing that's open for people who want to come and speak? Yes, there's a public hearing on February 5th. I didn't hear anything about what the subject is, but I did put something in to see if I can come and speak in person to speak on that. I don't know if it's just general about the education system in CUNY, but I did put, you know, my name in to see if I can come and speak. I haven't had anything back from anyone, but hopefully I can come in on February 5th to, you know, speak about it. And I do want to say one thing about President Karen Mason. In the beginning, I felt like she was so hard firm, didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. But as years went by and now that I fought for the Lord, I feel like she kind of was giving me a sense of this is what you should do by saying those, those, those words I was saying, if I do it for him, I would have to do it for everyone. Because those words made me think, you know what, I need to, I need to focus more on just him. And I need to talk. I never thought about it being a law, but when I was asking for this, I was just like, this is to be something that they should be able to change. That could you do that? I didn't think about so much the law. But then when I went to um, Congress member Lydia Velez's office and her assistant was like, no, you should go push for the law. It was like, yes. So I kind of feel like the president, Mason, was like unofficially telling me something by saying if I do it for him I have to do it for everybody and just feeling like I'm an alumni of John Jay I have my my bachelor's in forensic psychology I have my master's in public administration um inspector general both from John Jay College I feel like she felt like you know what well I'm not take what I'm saying and do what you can do and I want to also, and we're going to circle back to go to your foundation and the scholarship that you've created, but I also want to just let people know who are listening from the different CUNY colleges as well as the, the colleges in, within the State University of New York that the Board of Trustees at the State University of New York has already passed the um, first part of this to start the process right. going. CUNY, City University of New York, has not done this. And this is what Ms. Anderson is 
pushing for, for the City University of New York to begin the process in order to have a policy set out so that all the colleges within the City University of New York have the policy to, to apply to the students who have passed on while they were students at the City University of New York. So, you know, it's a bureaucracy, it's the largest system, but it has to start somewhere and the policy has to get going. And this is what we're pushing for, to create the policy to give these posthumous degrees so we can start giving them out as quickly as possible. Tell us in our last moments about your foundation. So my foundation was founded as soon as my son was murdered, um, Melquan Gisell Anderson Foundation, and we give out scholarship. Our first scholarship was at John Jay College. We do a hundred, I mean, excuse me, a thousand dollars for emergency fund, where if anything that they need, whether it's for um, a laptop, car fare, we did a thousand dollars scholarship for them to actually use for themselves, whatever they needed for. We did uh, the scholarship at the college where he got his associate's degree, which is Tompkins Community College upstate. We did the same thing. And then every October, we give out the scholarship of $500 for as many people that apply, up to maybe five people or so, just for them to do what they can do because, you know, it's so hard in the beginning when you're first starting the college um, to just try to figure out things. And we don't do it just for... Any, we, we, it's for two, 2.5 and below because a lot of people are struggling. And I know some people, there's no scholarships out there for anybody that's on pro, um, uh, academic probation. My son had a 3.5 GPA, but when I was in college, I was on academic probation. I was a single mom really trying to struggle, trying to get there. And it was like it was nothing available. So I feel like we should be able to give them something to help them get through. And not only that, we help people with getting um Jobs by giving type of job training. We gave an OSHA training with drywall hands-on, where they learned how to do drywall, be able to put up walls, kitchen, um, bedrooms. We did that. We do a lot of different things. We help mothers who lost their children to violence. And we don't do just gun violence. It's urban violence because you have people who were stabbed. You have people who were assaulted. So we do a lot of different array of things. And we definitely do something. It's for silence. Um, silence is loud. And it's for the youth, it's for teenagers, friends, siblings, um, cousins, because like I said, my nephew, he went through so much and we never realized it. And I was like, you know what? His silence was so loud. Look how he lost his scholarship. So we work with those as well and just trying to help them get through all of that they're going through because we don't want anybody to actually go out and wind up either with the mental health issues or retaliating because they think that, you know what? Look what they did to my to my friend or my family member. So we try to work them through that. It's like a tear balance type of thing wrapped around. We worked in through um, crisis intervention in the community with the family. So we just have a lot of components that we're trying to do, but we're definitely trying to do hands-on things so we could give them something tangible to get work, to get housing, opposed to just talking to people, because we can talk to people for days. And there's a lot of groups out there that do that, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We should, but we have to give them something that they could be able to do. So I want them to talk about them, get into college. This is something that you can do, that you can change your community, change your life. And do you have a website for your foundation? Yes. It's mjascholarship.org. MJAScholarship.org. And remember that this is all from a mother's grief to power, tenacity, a law being passed by Governor Hochul, a book that she wrote, The Sky Has Caring Eyes, a program, Silence is Loud, I, I thank you in, in the foundation that you have that's helping so many people. And I'm going to, and I didn't say this in the beginning, but I'm going to turn this around one moment and talk about while I had um, a class, um, many classes, I've had classes where I've had students who've gone off into war. 
that I don't know if they returned. I know they didn't return to me, but I'm hoping that they did return alive. I don't know. So maybe you have a loved one who was in school as a listener and that loved one was killed in war. This is for you. I remember having a student and I remember him and I remember his face and he was so into school. And then I heard about an apartment building explosion from a gas leak and something said, I'm going to know someone who was killed in that. And I don't know, Sixth Sense, God, whatever it was, when they showed the pictures and I saw his face. And that was my student. I want you to think about all the things that happened to us. Yes, so that's why I was so moved when I heard about this. And I thought, I've got to find some way for me to help, to, to give you a platform to help continue to push this forward. Because I know I've lost students of mine, and I know that we've lost students at John Jay College and other colleges within CUNY. And I also know for those other people who are administrators or are part of programs, colleges within the tri-state area or across the country, that you can start your own projects like this. You can start your own policies. And if People wanted to get in touch with you. What's the best way for if you wanted to help them start a program, for example, in Arizona, Tennessee, Texas, wherever it may be? Is it possible for them to to get in touch with you so they can better understand how this works and how they can do it? Absolutely. My email is mbanderson at the, the word, the, T-H-E-M-J-A-S. Dot org. Say that one more and time. My number, my phone number. Give give that email address one more time. M B Anderson at the M J A S dot org. I just want to say real real quick about. I want to say one more thank you to Cheryl Wills of New York One. I have to say thank you to her because I reached out to her about this, and she mentioned to me about how her own dad went to John Jay and was a fireman at the time and died. He was killed, she said. I believe she said he was killed. I don't want to missay it, but she said that he died while he was in. He never got his degree as well. And then she connected me to you and was like, you need to contact Professor Brown Marshall and talk to her about this. Maybe she can help you get his posthumous degree because, again, when we talked, it was never even put in. So I wanted to thank her for even giving me, putting me in contact with you for you to give me a platform to speak about it. Yes, I I really, Cheryl's my girl. And, uh, but I, but you've told us so much. Um, for example, that September 25th is National Day of Remembrance for Homicide Victims. Um, there are so many things that you've told us that is, that is such valuable information for our listeners. And the fact that you could take your grief and become, I think, to many people, inspiration at a time when they're going through loss or they're still grieving, that instead of just sitting in your grief, think about how you can use that grief and, and energize yourself into something positive because all of us have suffered losses. And so many times if we let that suffering, we let that, as you said before, that, that anger just well inside of us and we want to strike out in, in, at other people, instead you're taking that grief and I'm sure you're still in grief and will always be in grief over your only oh child. Like I tell people, grief is forever plus a day. I will love my son all day long and forever. I still cry. I cry for three years every day, every morning, every night. I mean, but, you know, I still got up because I always say, what does a mother do when you fight from the time they born to make sure that the, the child is a loving, humble, intelligent, respectful individual in society. And you do all of that, accomplish that, and they murder it anyway, or they die anyway. You get up and you fight some more. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight. I fought for him when he was alive, and I will fight for him now that he lives in the sky. I will 
always fight for him. And if, if that means doing and speaking out loud, I don't care who's there. If I'm in the rain by myself, I'm going to shout it out because I'm going to breathe life into his name forever. We have been having the honor of speaking with Michelle Barnes Anderson in the scholarship mjascholarship.org her son's law Mel's law your homework to contact the board of trustees at the City University of New York push them to get the policies created to give posthumous degrees to those who lost their lives while they are attending a CUNY school I thank you so much and I hope that in a little while a little while you'll be back to uh, tell us about the victory I hope so I also wanted to give my um, ex account which is no more Mel is at no more Mel so that's N-O-M-O-R-E-M-E-L no more Mel they can reach me on X thank you so much Miss Anderson that was and Michelle thank Barnes you. Anderson I really oh. appreciate this platform thank you so much for listening to me um, hearing me through the cracks, the tears, and everything, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm sure there are many places that want to come to have you speak on this issue. So hopefully they will reach out to you and pay her. <laughs> pay her when you have her come and speak. Okay? So. Yes. And, when they purchase the, and if they purchase the book, The Sky Has Karen Eyes, Every 100 proceeds goes to the organization for me to give back to the community. I get nothing off it. I want to give it all back to the community in my son's name. The Sky Has Caring Eyes, her book. Thank you so much, Michelle Barnes-Anderson. Thank you. This has been Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. Our guest, Michelle Barnes-Anderson, talking about Mel's Law. We began talking about Constance Baker Motley. See how that all came together with her son wanting to be a lawyer and his mother then creating a law of her own. You can also create legislation. You can interact with your elected officials all of this is empowering for you to better understand how the government works and how you get what you need from your government, the government you're paying taxes out of your check and out of everything else. You are paying taxes from the sales tax for everything that you buy for the most part. And that sales tax, that money is going into the coffers and you can then be a part of how your democracy works, which takes me to your democracy my animated series, Your Democracy, and that's found on WHYY.org. Your Democracy is an animated series about the U.S. Constitution. All of you teachers out there, parents, tell your teachers, tell your principals, put your democracy into the curriculum. It's an animated series of, of episodes. They're about five to six minutes long, but it's something that you can better learn about law, better learn about your government, about the U.S. Constitution called Your Democracy. And that's free, free, free. There is no license on it. There's nothing you have to do to sign up. It's free and available to the public, professionally produced by WHYY, which is a part of the public broadcasting um, services, the station of NPR, the national um, public radio station. All of that is available for you. More information for you to learn and empower yourself to get the power of law in your hands, in your mind. And as I've said before, um, tomorrow is the official ceremony for the Constance Baker Motley stamp. I have the honor of presenting at that ceremony. I'm very pleased and I'm thankful to the U.S. Post Office for reaching out for me to do this. And all of these things we're able to do for me to bring you this information about Mel's Law and, and have a platform requires us to have a little bit of money in the bank. And so, of course, we have to talk about our pledge line. The pledge line, of course, for all of those who want to give, 212-209-2950. And I, I, I want you to consider this. We spent time with Michelle Barnes-Anderson to have her be able to talk about all those different aspects of what it took 
for her to go through the loss of her son, create this law, write a book. Who else, where else are you going to go to get the full story like that? Where? I don't see it, and you know I'm in media. You get four or five minutes maybe that you share with three other people to have one sound bite. We actually get to delve deep into the stories for you to get a feel of the people, to better understand what we're dealing with. Isn't that worth something? And for those of you who have already given, I say thank you. Thank you. For those of you who would like to give, Please call 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. I want you to become a BAI buddy for Law of the Land. I'm going to be a little selfish here. Become my BAI buddy. I don't, you know, put When they ask you, um, what show are you supporting? Tell them Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. And you're being my BAI buddy. Thank you. I'm going to be a little selfish here. I also want to go into this last point as we head out in these closing moments, and that is we are beginning Black History Month at a, an amazingly turbulent time in which attacks are going on everywhere against people of color and in particular against African Americans and African American progress. Why? Because we have progressed. And for those of you who say, oh, things are just the way they were, if they were just the way they were, we wouldn't be under attack. We have made outstanding progress in the face of, let's just say, diabolical obstacles over hundreds of years. And we need to understand that the battle continues. And for all of those who have immigrated into the country, I want you to remember the African-American experience is what made this country your place of destination. Because if it had remained the way it was before, you would not have wanted to come here under the discrimination, the racism, the violence that was constant in this country against people of color. African-Americans put the conscience in the Constitution because it was those hundreds of cases, and you can read about them in my book, Race, Law, and American Society, 1607 to present. Race, Law, and American Society shows you in detail the types of laws that were put in place that we had to overcome to make this country your place of destination. For those people who are parents who need to tell their children, arm them with history during Black History Month, all year long, but in particular during Black History Month, so that they can better understand the war they are in. And it is a war. But we will enjoy ourselves as well. I thank you, Michael G., for another show. Go to my podcast, Law of the Land, on Spotify and Apple, and I will see you On the radio.